we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe. I just want somebody to share my life. I know you love me. Why would you ever want to say anything to me that would hurt me? Even in your state of anger. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. If you're looking for another episode of Dates and Mates, then you are in the right place. You know, I get a lot of questions about the rules of dating amidst a breakup or after a breakup, especially during a divorce. Like, can you date someone who's separated but still legally married? And how can you get back out there and date after divorce and avoid making the same relationship mistake again? So I have a very special guest with me here today to give you some tips. Jacqueline Newman is a top 50 New York super lawyer, according to Thomson Reuters. She's also the author of The New Rules of Divorce, 12 Secrets to Protecting Your Wealth, Health, and Happiness. And she has advice for everyone, whether you are dating someone who is divorced, you are coming out of a divorce yourself, or you just want to avoid a divorce in the future. This is a must-listen-to episode. But first... You know we have these headlines to cover. The ultimate cuffing season is here. I'll tell you how to get cuffed and how to keep your sanity in the process. But if you are feeling triggered by dating today, I also have a headline on dating with social anxiety disorder. So you know I got you. Then in Dear Demona, I'll answer your questions, including what does it mean when they say they want a break? And... Is it the timing or is it me? Why has my hot romance cooled off? Lovers, we're going deep. So let's dish. D's dating dish. Leave it to my friends at Mashable to put the stake in the new cuffing season up that is upon us. Just a little backstory on what is cuffing season anyway. We've covered it pretty much every, every year on Dates and Maids, but... It starts in October. It really goes through the end of December. And then we pop into peak dating season, which goes through Valentine's Day. Some people will say cuffing season is everywhere from October through Valentine's Day. But what is it, Demona? Well, it's when we are tired of the summer flings. We don't want to be out here in these dating streets. We want a serious relationship. We want to get cuffed. We want to get cuffed for the holidays. I want to share the why with you of cuffing season. Like, why do we want to partner up right now? And then what can you do about it so that you can navigate through this period of time and get what you want? So in this study that was done by the Kinsey Institute and Love Honey, they interviewed 2,000 American adults. And they said that this part of the year is always cuffing season. But I've been saying this is going to be the ultimate cuffing season because of the pandemic. So according to this Kinsey Love Honey study, 71% of adults said they are more interested in long-term relationships now as compared to pre-pandemic. And we see this in the OkCupid data too. You know, I'm always living in the OkCupid data. And we see that more people are looking for serious relationships across the board. In this Kinsey Love Honey study, they also found that a lot of people, they aren't just looking for hookups on apps. 36% said that first date sex is a deal breaker because we are looking to find partnership and not just to find momentary, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But why? But why? Well, according to this article from Mashable, in the colder months, the difference in our sun exposure affects the production of neurotransmitters that are involved in mood regulation. So you've heard of 
SAD, seasonal affective disorder. When you start to go into the winter months and there's less light and things, it's just darker, the days are shorter, we start to get depressed. And it's not you. It's not your city. It's actually science. It's the sun exposure affecting our mood. So that's the biological component. But then there's a psychological and social component because we have the holidays coming up. We have grandma asking us, why don't we bring somebody nice to Thanksgiving dinner? We also have things getting colder in some parts of the country uh, in some parts of the world. So you want to nest and settle down and be cuffed to someone special during that time. And this is the ultimate cuffing season. There was some advice in this article that I think is really salient that I want to make sure you go home with today. Logan Yuri, who's been on this show before, she's the head of relationship science at Hinge. She says, The good news is you can skip the small talk and have a really interesting conversation now because we're not just trying to have surface level conversations. We're actually going a level deeper. And one thing that I see among the OkCupid data is that people are really dating based on values. People want to date someone whose values and views align with theirs. So I would definitely lead with that on your dating apps. And I would lead with that in the conversation. And my other advice is to stay in the game. So many times I I feel people, they have this drive for the relationship. So they dive in with both feet. And then the first, I don't know, two, three weeks on the dating app, it's like all they're thinking about. So they put all of this emotional energy and output into that initial few weeks. And then they burn out. And they're like, well, I didn't find my person. So it's not meant to be. I'm just going to take a dating break and sign off the apps. And the problem is that This is when things are going to get really good. And at that moment when you are just about to break through, that's the moment when you feel like pulling away. So don't do it. Stay in the game and stay in the conversation, even if you're not getting that flurry of activity that you were getting at the beginning. Remember, that's an adrenaline rush that you're feeling. And so that dip that you experience when your matches don't necessarily end up where you hope that they will end up, it is a hormonal release. It is a drop in the oxytocin levels. It's an, it's a drop in your adrenaline. And we have to push through that and almost prepare for it. Like I'm telling you now, it's going to come. And I'm telling you, don't panic and don't retreat at the first sign of trouble. We've got to stay in the game. We've got to continue pre-screening before you get to the date so you're not putting out a lot of effort texting people and spending a lot of time on dates that don't go anywhere. And we've got to continue to sow a lot of seeds. It's not a marriage commitment. It's just a conversation. So see if you can swipe a little bit more liberally, get into more conversations, but then go out with fewer people. And that way you will be screening along the way and lining yourself up for success in finding that person that's aligned with you that is more relationship minded. For those of you who heard what I just said and your anxiety just peaked through the roof, I got you too. Don't worry. (laughs) There was also an article on how people with social anxiety can find love in psychology today. And there's an interesting study on socially anxious adults. And it said that They are less likely to marry and more likely to divorce 
which is what we're talking about later, than non-anxious adults, which made me giggle because I was like, wait, who's a non-anxious adult? (laughs) Are there any of us left? (laughs) So how to date. If you have social anxiety, there are some things you can do to kind of calm your mind. Interestingly, a lot of the advice that I found around this was the same advice that I give to everyone. Back to my original thesis of everyone having social anxiety (laughs) to some degree. But before the date, it's recommended that you do some reading and have in mind some interesting facts or current events to talk about. I have my clients prepare for the date with stories that they want to tell about themselves or that they can just kind of lock and load in the back of their mind that always get a reaction or share important information about themselves. Just so like if your mind goes blank, you at least have these stories that you've practiced. But it's also, according to this article, a great idea to have current events that you can talk about because that's also a very easy entry point into a new conversation. This is a tip I always give. Decide on a start time and end time for the date to alleviate anxiety. I mean, how many times have you been trapped on a date that you couldn't get out of because you didn't have an exit plan in advance? Um, It also says, don't be too hard on yourself. If there are lulls in the conversation, instead of feeling bad about it, take the opportunity to ask a question about a topic you know the other person is interested in. Or I would add on and say, get comfortable with silence. It doesn't have to pique your anxiety. What would happen? Just what would happen if you let the silence sit for a minute and see if maybe the other person steps in to fill it? I think sometimes when we have social anxiety, we feel like everything is on our shoulders to forward the conversation, to see where things are going. We take on a lot of responsibility. And you don't have to do that when you're in partnership or in, in conversation with another person. And if the anxiety does cause problems, which I, some of you have heard me talk about Love on the Spectrum, freaking fantastic television show on Netflix. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend season two just came out a few weeks ago. Season one is great too, but it's young adults on the autism spectrum dating and, and really bringing you inside their process and learning the skills that a lot of us take for granted. I could do a whole episode on that. I won't. But in a recent episode, one of the women had her had it was having a panic attack. Her social anxiety was triggered. And so she did exactly what they say in the article. Excuse yourself and head to a quiet spot such as a restroom for a few minutes to regroup. Do some breathing exercises. Another great thing to do when you are feeling your anxiety triggered is to just get in touch with your senses. So it's I see, I hear hear, I feel, I smell, and in your head, you don't have to do it aloud in the bathroom. That might be weird. Just go through those thoughts in your mind and see if you can connect back into your senses, and that can bring you back into the present moment. Oh, I could go on and on about this, but we have to get to Jacqueline Newman because she's going to be talking to us about dating and divorce. But first, if you are not having the best experience on dating apps, here's a hot tip. You need to create a dating profile that attracts the right matches to you. You need my free profile starter kit. It is for all of my Dates and Mates listeners. It's absolutely free. You can go to datesandmates.com and get a full PDF with detailed instructions and tips on how to create a perfect profile that will attract the right matches to you. I'll give you ideas of what to write in your bio. I'll show you how to pick the best pictures. And you can have a new dating profile that works in minutes. It's 100% free. You can find it at datesandmates.com. When we come back, Jacqueline Newman will be here. So don't go anywhere. Friends, I got to tell you about Slate's new sex advice podcast. 
how to do it. For three years, Jessica Stoya and Rich Juzwiak, who's a friend of the show, you've heard him here on Dates and Mates, they have been giving advice to Slate readers on everything about sex, on libidos, secrets, sexting, surprising fetishes, and a lot of other things you've probably never even imagined. (laughs) Now they're joining forces to answer their most wild and tricky questions together. Whatever you want to know about sex, truly, whatever, they'll tell you how to do it. Listen now to the How to Do It podcast twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I am here with Jacqueline Newman. She's the managing partner at a top law firm in Manhattan. She specializes in complex, high net worth matrimonial cases. You know what that means, like those folks with money on the line in their divorce. She also negotiates prenuptial agreements, and she is the go-to for divorce advice. She's appeared on NBC, ABC, CBS, New York Times, and so much more. And today she's here at Dates and Mates with the steps you need to take when dating after a breakup, as detailed in her book, The New Rules of Divorce. Please help me give big smooches to my guest, Jacqueline Newman. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here because, look, we we have a lot of single people who listen to the show. I'm the I'm the ghost of Christmas future. You're the ghost. Of, no, I'm the ghost of Christmas present. You're the ghost of Christmas future. I want to know so much about what you've seen in the the office as a divorce attorney. I want to help those people who are not in relationships to get on the right path so they don't end up in your office. And then I also want to talk to those folks who maybe are in the process of divorcing or dating again after divorce to help them find themselves. So let's just begin at the beginning. What are some of the most common reasons that you see someone file, say that they're filing for divorce because of? So I think it's all about, I mean, people ask me this obviously all the time. They say, you know, what causes divorce? I mean, that's really kind of what, you know, the question is. And I think there's two things. One, I think it's failed expectations, which I can talk a little bit more about, and also communication and communication skills and learning how to fight well. And so when I think about ways that people can kind of stay out of my office, which I, you know, as much as I'd love to see you, you don't want to see me. So I can understand that. Um, You really want to enter into your relationship in a healthy way. And we'll start with the fighting well, because I think that that's one of the things that's really difficult. And it's actually a skill because when people are getting along and especially, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, you're in your honeymoon period, everybody's perfect. Everybody's wonderful, you know, and everybody gets along and that's great. And, you know, everybody, if you could bottle that, we'd be selling it for gazillions of dollars. However, it's inevitable that people are going to have disagreements and they should. And it's a healthy thing to have disagreements and it helps build a relationship. But it's all about how you get through those disagreements. And so I talk a lot with clients about learning to fight well um, and the skill of fighting and the skill of disagreement and argument and all those sort of things. Because and the reason that I speak to clients about is because even though, you know, now they've decided they're getting divorced, they're still going to ultimately have fights with their exes, you know, because it's not as if things are going to get always get, you know, sometimes they get better, but sometimes they don't (laughs) after a divorce. And I want to prepare them for moving forward, especially because I've seen, at least in my clients, what may have happened during the marriage and I see how they fought and I see what happened and I see where it, where it led them. And so I want to help them kind of move forward. And it sounds like, you know, many people that are your listeners, you know, hopefully don't even have to do the hard part that some of my clients do and they can avoid it from the beginning. Let's get granular on that, that fighting well. I've heard you talk about not getting emotional in arguments 
And I'm sure there are people listening like, well, easier said than done, Jacqueline. <laughs> but what do you mean by that? And and what are some ways that people can communicate more clearly in a way that's not going to ultimately end up hurting them and their partner in the end? Right. So absolutely easier said than done. So I will just start with that. I mean, what I'm asking you to do is not going to feel natural and it's not going to feel good. And but ultimately, hopefully it will one day feel natural and ultimately make you feel better. So really, let's just start with not hitting below the belt. Let's just start right there. You know, people, you know, they forgive, but they don't forget. And so, you know, and of course, in my mind, I always envision, you know, what are your motion papers going to look like later on? So when you're stuck in your moment and you are just screaming and cursing and yelling and doing whatever it is you're doing, what you're really doing in my mind is you're drafting my motion, my affidavit to say what a horrible person you are, if it, whether it comes to custody, whether it comes to anything else. But what you're also doing is you're, you know, these are the images that people are going to have of you going forward. Like even when you forget, someone calls someone a really nasty name or just like really kind of cuts deep. You know, it's one of those things, yeah, you'll get over the fight and you'll get past it, but they're always going to look at your face. And in some way, they're going to remember that that's the face that said this to me especially when people really hit hard, you know, name calling. I mean, I just think that's kind of silly to begin with. But when you really hit hard and you know someone's got a button that's sensitive and you push that button, like that's hurtful. And, you know, and I say like my husband and I have had these conversations often. And like I've said, like, you and I are on the same team. Like, I know you love me. Why would you ever want to say anything to me that would hurt me? Like, even in your state of anger, you still love me. And I know you do. So why do you want to hurt someone you love? You know, and if somebody can step back and think about that for a second, it's like, wow, if I was in my right state of mind, I never would say something like this to someone because I know how much it hurts them. And then I have to pick up the pieces because now I've hurt them so badly, you know. And so right there, you know, and again, I'm still going to go back to the easier said than done. Almost every sentence I say is going to probably could end with easier said than done because it's hard because you're in your moment. But I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to sit and try to fast forward your life. 10 minutes, an hour, two hours, two weeks, and say, would I still have said this? Because if the answer is no, then you shouldn't say it in the moment either. For sure. And all of this, it's easier said than done, but it's easier also when you practice it. And when they, they talk about in therapy, the, the window of reflection, and sometimes when you are in that heated space, if you can just even just own like... I am out of my window of reflection. Like I can't even see what Jacqueline was just talking about, about projecting it into the future. In this moment, I'm just seeing red. Even just stepping back from that moment and telling your partner, like, I need a I need to, I need to take a breath and walk away from this argument right now because I might say something yeah. that you could use against me in the court of law. Uh, so I might say something that that, you know, that isn't constructive right now. I, it's such a helpful tool. You also talk about learning how to negotiate and compromise with your partner. I read an article where you told a fun story about how you get your husband to do the dishes now. <laughs> Can you share best practices if there's a behavior that your partner has that maybe would be more helpful for you if they shifted that behavior? <laughs> How do we do it? Right there was fantastic word choice, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my window of reflection. There you go. <laughs> I was um, literally reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, and, and it, this is a true story too. So my husband, now I do it with my kids too, by the way. But so my husband, yeah, so dirty dishes. I hate doing the dishes. Hate it, hate it, hate it. 
And, you know, my tolerance for dirty dishes is much, much lower than my husband's. And so we got into a situation once where, you know, it was kind of the deal was he was going to do the dishes. And what I had said to him, you know, but he would let them pile and smell or whatever. And like, that didn't seem to bother him when it bothered me greatly. So, and I would nag and that would bother him. And so it became a very bad dynamic. And ultimately we entered into a deal that I will say it's time to do the dishes. And he's got 24 hours from when I say to do the dishes to get the dishes done, but I cannot nag in that period. So even if he does it at, you know, 23 hours and 59 minutes, as long as it's done in the window, I got to keep it quiet. And what it really did was it built trust because the reason that people nag and stuff is they don't feel like you're actually going to do it. But if I know he's going and he can't screw it up, like he's got to make sure he's in his window, which he will. And that really ultimately built trust. It got me to a point where I didn't even feel the need as much to nag. I'm not going to say totally, but it got me definitely more relaxed about it because I did know he was going to do it. Of course, my attitude is, why don't you just do it right now and not wait the 24 hours? But whatever, that's me. But, you know, it's one of those things, though, I did know he did it. And it really has been a helpful thing. And I have the same deal now with my kids where, you know, when I want them to do something, we, I ask them, how much time do you need? And they tell me, and then the deal is to do it, you know, in that window. I do it with my associates. I do it with everyone. Like I make time deals pretty much with most people saying, and I make them pick the time frame because as long as it's a reasonable time frame. And usually when you tell the other person to pick the time frame, they're usually going to pick a time frame that's shorter than what you actually are probably thinking. And so especially kids, I find, you know, I'm like willing to give them the weekend. They're like, all right, I'll do it in the next five hours. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I get my timer out, my visual timer for my, my seven-year-old. And I'm like, you see how much time you have left? That's such a great tip. I never thought about using it with my husband. <laughs> but I have dirty drawers that need to get picked up. And <laughs> he's very collaborative and cooperative. I think, you know, part of it was that when he was young, he actually... He had a lot of anxiety, so he did therapy as a child, and I feel like it just made him such a more, such a better communicator and more able to to kind of see all sides of the situation. You know, one in terms of looking at other sides of situations, one thing that I've seen come up a lot, both with people who are dating and people in relationships, is this third character in your your relationship of social media and what's happening, what else is happening online, who else is posting about their relationship. Or I'll see people like bad-mouthing their ex when they're going through a breakup. And I'm just curious from your perspective what your best practices are around social media. Yeah. So personally, I stay off it for the most part. I, I, I eavesdrop. I'm a voyeur, but I don't put anything on. But um I really, what you're saying is 100% true. Let's just start with that. And, you know, I call it the Facebook perfect. And so everybody has perfect children that are always smiling and they have the perfect husband who's like, you know, they might as well take pictures of him doing the dishes. You know, like, I mean, everything looks fantastic. And the fact is, you know, we all know that's not really what's happening. We all know that the second that's after that picture is shot, the kids start screaming and all these other things start happening. But when you are in a new relationship and or breaking up with someone or whatever it is, you are looking to social media and it's totally natural to compare. And so, you know, the, the theory really is like you need to know it's not true in many cases. Um, and you need to really, really believe that. Um, I think when people don't, it's like watching a movie almost, you know, it's like if it was on the big screen, you would you wouldn't compare yourself to Julia Roberts, you know, like you'd be like, OK, that's Julia Roberts and this is me. And we're not necessarily always the same in so many different ways. And but yet when you're on social media, you feel like that person, you can relate to that person so much more. 
and because you've seen this person's cat and you've seen this person's everything about this person because people post everything. And then you feel you can relate. And when they post a picture of a perfect relationship, it makes you feel bad about yours. But the problem is, and this kind of brings me back to what we were originally talking about, is what that does is it creates very unrealistic expectations in a marriage and in relationships. And because of that, I think that's one of the other really big reasons that people divorce is failed expectations. When people have these idealistic ideas of marriage, relationships, everything, and when they don't meet those ideals and they look on social media and feel like, well, you know, so-and-so, my nemesis from high school, it's meeting their ideal. You know, it's like all of a sudden you start comparing and that brings a lot of self-doubt. It brings anger. It brings all sorts of resentment and that ends you up in my office. Mm-mm. Those expectations, they've, I've said on the show before, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. So the more that we can just be in the moment and not have expectations of ourselves or other people or what's going to happen, I think sometimes the less anxiety we can take on. But not every time. It doesn't always work out. Every time, every relationship you have doesn't always work out. Even if you feel like it's the one, you get married, you're feeling the vibes, and then things change. So let's talk now about what happens when you are divorcing. And, and, and I imagine, Jacqueline, that it's different at different phases because some people are just see it right away and they divorce. They're just like, okay, I'm something happened and I am filing papers and it's happening. Other people maybe in this, like my parents, it was literally like five years of like, my dad moved out, my dad moved back in and they were together, they're in love, but then they hate each other, but they can't, they, it was just, it was years and years of limbo. And then when they finally divorce, there's a question of, when is it right the right time to start dating? And I even see a, a lot of listeners to the show have written in about seeing people online who say that they're separated and not divorced. What are the rules around around that? So all fantastic questions. <laughs> I would start with saying that, you know, I tell people when someone comes into my office, one of the first things I say is, are you sure you want to get divorced? If they pause for even a nanosecond, I say, go to a marriage counselor. Because divorce is very, very difficult. It's emotionally exhausting. It's financially exhausting. And it's very hard to turn back from. So when you talk about your parents being in limbo and so many people, I mean, that's sort of natural. And honestly, on some level, it makes a lot of sense because I would think that when people finally make the decision, they feel like they're making the decision and they feel like they've tested the waters enough to know it's the right decision. Because one of the worst things that I've seen happen is when people get angry and in a state of anger, they show up in my office, say, I want to get divorced. We get divorced and then they regret it. And that's a very hard thing to regret, especially when there are children involved and you put everyone through this to now all of a sudden say, you know what? Social media, you know, wasn't what I thought it was going to be and dating wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know what? He wasn't so bad. And so, or she wasn't so bad. So I really can't emphasize enough how much you, it's such an important decision and not something that should be taken lightly. So I think that process makes a lot of sense. That said, once, you know, if you are in the divorce process and you say to me with absolute surety, yep, 100% want to get divorced. I say, okay, great. You know, fine. We'll move forward on this and go take you through the process. And then we talk about dating. And so I may have a different theory on dating than many other people, but I'm a big advocate of divorce is hard. And I want you for the most part to, you know, move on with your life as much as possible. And so I actually am okay with people dating during a divorce process for the most part. Definitely not okay with anyone meeting the kids. 100% no on that. And, you know, I, I say to them, like, don't show up at your, like, you know, your anniversary restaurant. Like, don't rub it in somebody's face. Don't put things on social media. 
keep your life separate and quiet. There's no reason for your soon to be ex to know what's going on. Not that I would ever ask you to lie because it's very important. So you're asked point blank, you answer because once you start lying, that's a very slippery slope. But I do think it's okay to date. And, you know, I, I joke very often that, you know, if your spouse is dating, or your soon to be ex spouse, that's like the greatest thing in the world. Like, you know, clients will call me up and be like, I can't believe he's dating this bimbo. I was like, that's great. And then they hang up on me. And then they call me back later. And they say, why would you say that's great? And I say, because when you have a happy person, you're divorcing a happier person, it is much better than divorcing a bitter person who feels they're going to be alone for the rest of their lives. So I'm a big advocate of encourage other people. I mean, I make jokes and this is fully a joke. I say, you know, pay someone to go date your ex for a little bit. <laughs> totally joking. I do not really do that. But conceptually, a happy soon-to-be ex is much easier to divorce. Oh, yeah, because it's complicated. I mean, all of these factors that you have to negotiate through when your life gets completely entangled with someone else. And even for for those who are not married, I'm seeing a lot of of our listeners decide to partner with somebody long-term, but not even necessarily get married. And I bet you there's a million things that you could tell us about, you know, finances and property and all of these things that have become real sticking points in divorces that they're not even thinking about how to either set themselves up for, for, an easy separation should it come to that or just protect their own assets. Right. So, I mean, if you're in a situation where you're not going to get married and do the whole, you know, Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn thing, which now I feel like is almost a jaded reference, but that basically, you know, and there are many people that are doing that and, you know, and that's fine. My only concern with those type of relationships is that if you are going to be financially dependent on a person and you do not get married, it could be very, very worrisome, depending on what state you live in. Um, like New York, for an example, generally doesn't recognize common law marriages and things like that. So if you're with someone for a very long period of time, you're financially dependent on them. Let's say you have children with them and, you know, you may be entitled to child support, but arguably you would not be entitled to any asset growth. You would not be entitled to maintenance, which is spousal support or anything like that. And so you're in a vulnerable place. And so that really concerns me if you are in a situation where you're financially dependent and not getting married. If you're not financially dependent, God bless, everybody do what they want. But if you are, it could be a very risky thing for you to be in that type of relationship. Weird question. But if you're not getting married, but you are commingling finances, should you get a lawyer to like write out some sort of a document about who owns what or I mean you could it really depends on how you're commingling them so for an example if you're buying property together you know sometimes people would do things like that I mean they would definitely do you know it's kind of like this we've done these cohabitation agreements I don't do them that often but we have done them um you know very often if you're buying property you have a lot of people that buy them in you know businesses and then they'll just own certain percentages I mean there's ways to get around it without doing full you know prenuptial agreements as a whole but it is a little trickier you know and when you know and just to jump onto prenups for a second. I mean, I'm a big advocate of them. Uh, for the most part, when people do get married, even if you don't have a gazillion dollars, but if you have, uh, you know, if you have a family business, if you have any kind of business at all, if you're a business owner, if you actively manage your assets, if you've got family money coming, um, or if there's a huge income disparity, then also a lot of times people would want to do prenups. And I, I think prenups can actually be a really good thing. I didn't do one because I didn't have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> 
But now, you know, now I get 50-50. So, <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully there will be no need for me to cash out on that. I hope <laughs> So any other thoughts for those who are dating after divorce, ways that they can relaunch their lives and sort of step back into the world again? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a great opportunity that can exist for people, you know, on the second go around. And one of the reasons is you've learned a lot. Um, and that, you know, I think that there's, you know, obviously experiences you went through and hopefully you're going to learn from, you know, some mistakes and some things that weren't even mistakes, you know, but they were right for the time. And I think that, you know, one of the things that when people are kind of relaunching, as we say, they don't and, and during the process of divorce too, I think it's so important for people to recognize their voice in the process and to really take, take self, self-care is really the biggest, biggest issue. I mean, in, you know, in my book, um, you know, one of the chapters speaks about self-care and it says you always have to put your oxygen mask on first. And it's really an important thing because so many people just, you know, whether it's bringing the guilt, whether all the different issues they may feel while going through a divorce, they feel like they need to take care of everyone else. But part of the problem is if you don't take care of yourself first, you're not going to be able to take care of anyone else. And that gets very lost in the shuffle. And so I think it's just very important for people to do that from a self, you know, a physical perspective, a mental perspective, a spiritual perspective, every perspective there is, you do things for yourself. You know, and I, I, you know, don't, I joke with clients, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we're in custody fights and I think about, you know, some of my clients who would fight for every last second with their children, which I understand, and we would battle. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, a couple of years later, I get a phone call saying, I can't believe he's not taking the kids or I can't believe she's not taking the kids. I've got plans this weekend. And it always makes me sort of laugh because you're so caught in your moment during the divorce. And then later you realize that there's a lot of benefit to free time. And, you know, I joke with some of my friends who are divorced. I was like, I can't believe you have every other weekend to do whatever you want. <laughs> like, that's amazing. It does sound amazing from my vantage point. But I know it's I know it comes with a whole lot of other- it does. But there are perks to divorce, is my point. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are perks, certainly. <laughs> and financial, there are financial benefits to, to either, depending on what your relationship is and, and what you've pl- how you've planned. But, you know, it sounds like planning is a, is a lot of the name of the game, like whether it's in communication with your partner and having rules and agreements and, and building that trust, like like you were saying earlier, or just in terms of what we each bring to the table in our relationship. If God forbid we were to to split up, we at least have a little bit of a plan to follow from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would absolutely agree. I'm a big planner personally. And with all my clients, I kind of try to figure out the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. But I think that I agree. I think in life you should have as much of a plan as you can. And you know, some things, you know, some things don't go as planned, but I think it's really important to do that. And so I would agree with you. And I think going through the divorce and the after divorce, what what is the plan going to be? And again, not even, you know, partially financial, emotional, everything else. Like, what are you what do you want to see yourself as in five years, 10 years from now? Yes. And going back to your thought on putting on your your mask before you help someone else, I literally book self-care into my calendar like it is. It is planned every week. And that is the first thing that I do before I do anything else. And it's not, it's a non-negotiable, but you have to have that level of commitment. And I find for self-care or whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's self-care or whether it's finding a relationship or being in the relationship with your partner, like I've heard you talk about setting aside date nights. But if the time, I know for me, if the time isn't 
set aside and committed to and in the calendar, it, something else will always come up and push it off. No, I absolutely agree with that. It has, you have to, you know, you have to put it as a very important thing. And I think most people don't, which is kind of what happens. And I do think that that happens even more so in a divorce process, you know, in relationships, when people enter in relationships, you're, you know, used to live by yourself and you'd leave dirty clothes all over the place. But when you have a shared common space, you got to clean up. And so like your needs, you know, it's blending the needs of everyone. And sometimes in relationships and hopefully not always, but you lose yourself in the relationship. And so I do think it's very important to maintain a presence and care enough about yourself to be a person in the relationship. And that is self-care, usually from a mental standpoint and everything else. So I do think it's very important. And I think that you need to give yourself that gift um, and see it as a necessity, not even a gift, a necessity. Absolutely. Well, it has been a gift to us to have you here on Dates and Mates. Everybody, check out Jacqueline Newman's book, The New Rules of Divorce, 12 Secrets to Protecting Your Wealth, Health, and Happiness. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Make sure you get a copy of Jacqueline's book, The New Rules of Divorce, 12 Secrets to Protecting Your Wealth, Health, and Happiness. We will put the link in the show notes. In a moment, I will be back here to answer questions from you, my Dates and Mates family, and dear Demona. This week, I'll be tackling, are you Team Rachel or Team Ross? What does it mean when you're on a break? And is he pulling away or is he just nervous about your ex? We'll be right back. Welcome back. As we barrel through cuffing season, I am expecting a lot more questions from you. Just remember that if you have a question, the chances are good that somebody else listening is going to be able to relate and is going to also get help from your question being answered. So don't be shy. Here's what's on your mind this week. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. This question was emailed to me from an anonymous listener. She says, hey, Demona. So I recently started dating someone. We texted for about a week, quite a bit. We had a first date, which was great. And I felt like we connected. We subsequently had six dates in two weeks, three of which were at his home just hanging out. Are you following the math here, folks? Completely G-rated. How do I find out if he still wants to pursue a relationship with me? Since I feel like his texts have cooled down the past few days, I thought things were going really well. Also, I was upfront in the beginning that my ex is in the process of moving out after this whole pandemic thing. Well, anonymous listener, I don't know when this whole pandemic thing is going to be over, but I will trust that you are making a plan with your ex to move out and that I, I can see that you've already mentally moved on. But I do really wonder if this is a bit of a deal breaker for the person that you're dating now and if you've talked to them about it. Because three of your six dates, you were hanging out at his home. You didn't say that you were hanging out at your home at all because I guess your ex is still there. So I would find out, like just literally rip the Band-Aid off and just, just ask Here's how you can engage in a challenging conversation like this. Just state the obvious, the thing that you both know is true. I've noticed we don't text as much as we used to. Is everything okay? Pause. <laughs> You've noticed that I, I really like to use the pause in, in challenging conversations. Pause and see what he says. If he's just like, oh, no, everything's fine, then you can go a little bit further and say, well, I'm wondering if I, I've been feeling like this might be an issue or I've been feeling this. This is how I'm feeling. And this is a Brene Brown technique, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but it is fabulous. If you 
go with the story I'm telling myself is. And then you can say literally anything off the wall wacky that's in your head because it's the story you're telling yourself. And then again, you pause and you let him tell you how your story is totally wrong or how there are elements of your story that might be correct. Because I would say you had a good cadence going. Six dates in two weeks. That's pretty slow love. Hanging out at his home, that's a little less slow love. But after six dates, that makes sense. I mean, if that was like date one or two, maybe not. But okay, you're you're practicing slow love. You've been texting for a while. Like, maybe he's just not that into texting. If you're still seeing him, Maybe he doesn't have to work as hard to win you over because he already he's already in conversation with you. But if you like the text, then ask for the text. Tell him that really inspire him to show up for you. I loved hearing the text from you in the middle of the day. I've noticed you haven't sent them as much anymore. Is everything okay? And then we can really get to the heart of the matter. Is it about is he uncomfortable with your ex? Does he have his own baggage from his past relationships that he's dealing with? Is he feeling triggered in that way? Is he not a good texter? It, have you been moving too fast for him? Have you been moving too slow for him? We we just don't have enough information because it sounds like right now, even though you've seen each other six times, we're still kind of hanging out. You said hanging out. You're still kind of on a surface level. And It's cuffing season, so I want to go a level deeper and really see where he sees this headed, what blocks or impediments are in the way of you moving in that direction, and how you need him to show up for you and how you can show up for him if you're going to be moving things in that direction. My next question comes to us in a voicemail from a listener named John. Hi, this is John, and I have a question for Demona Hoffman. So I've been seeing this guy for about two months now that we met on Tinder, and I feel that we definitely have a connection. We're able to make each other smile, you know, make each other laugh, particularly when we converse in text, FaceTime, and phone calls. And I even hear him say that he misses me, particularly when he goes out of town on trips. He's even told me about making a trip list that we can do together, and even he even talked about going to Turkey next spring and And when he was on a trip to Cabo, he sent me a text of he was accepting husband applications. And so you can kind of see how how I would take that, that, you know, we're taking it possibly to to the next level. So I said that, you know, he was my boyfriend. Well, I got a text from him and it quotes, listen, we have to talk. I don't want to talk any time before that because I have to get ready for my meeting tomorrow. Walked into Laz and they were all congratulating me on my new boyfriend. And while I'm flattered. This is far from what I wanted and at the speed I need it. We are exclusive and I'm not seeing anyone else. I feel it's far too soon for that title. We collectively spent two weekends together. I really think we need to pump the brakes a lot. I'm not appreciating the liberties you're taking with these things. Honestly, I'm flattered and I know these aren't malicious, but these aren't things I'm looking for in my relationship. It's about talking about these things and making sure we are both clear. I think I need to take a break and I've canceled my trip for the 14th meaning me that he was planning to visit a trip up to North Carolina. That doesn't change the fact that I like you, but I need a pause. And so the next day we ha- he calls me and we had the conversation and he told me that, you know, uh, that he wanted a break and that, you know, we're, this is not a breakup. However, after seven days, I still have not heard from him. So I'm getting a little a bit of anxiety and a little bit of allow my fear to in- manifest and think that, you know, this is more of a breakup as opposed to a break. 
So my question is, you know, is this a break? And if so, how long should I allow a certain amount of time before I start to think, if anything, if it's a breakup? So I love your insight. Thank you. John, when I hear a question like this, I think that you and your partner just have a miscommunication. It seems like we haven't clarified along the way what certain things mean. And this happens a lot when we get caught up in the emotion and we start to assume when somebody says this, it means that. And I'm feeling this, so they must agree and they must feel the same way. And I would say there's a lot of good signs in this that you two are communicating and that that he does seem to have a connection to you and want things to move along, but just move along more slowly. But there's a piece of information that's missing from your question, John, because I'm wondering why all of his friends or coworkers knew that you were dating before he was ready to say it. If I were a betting woman and I were to make a guess, I would say that maybe something got shared on social before the time when he was ready to share it. And this is something we have to be really careful about, tagging people, putting labels out there, even putting people's names, faces into the world without their consent. So something happened that maybe you missed, John, in the the translation of we are a couple and now I want the world to know about it because those are two separate conversations that have to happen. And it sounds like he's on board with the we are a couple part and we're not dating anybody else, but he wasn't quite ready for the and I want the world to know about it. And maybe now that has broken his trust where he feels like it wasn't something that you two discussed and now you have to work back to earn his trust again. So I'm I'm bummed that he would cancel the trip over this. You two really need to have a conversation, a real-time conversation, not texts, but get back on the same page of where things went off track. I wouldn't even get into the content of why you felt that you were his boyfriend and you were ready to move things to the next level or how long had passed or he said that you were going on trips together or any of that. Don't get into content. Just get into how he's feeling right now and what can you do to get back to the place where you felt that you were before this all happened. Stay in the space of listening to what he's really saying. And this is probably a big shift for both of you. So he may just be in this panic of accepting that he is deciding to be exclusive with someone and that's going to be a change in his life. And now he's going to incorporate you into his life and that's going to be a change. And it's a lot. It's a lot for some people. And even if that's what he wants, sometimes the reality of that, especially if he didn't choose to share it with the world, can be a little intense. So just tread lightly and try to listen. And if there's an action that you took that did make him uncomfortable, try to be open to hearing it. And these are the elements of a great apology. First, just acknowledge that you understand what happened, that it was not your intention. Literally say the words, I'm sorry I shared this before you were ready. And draw out a roadmap from where you can go from here. I think we can still get things back on track. I still have strong feelings for you, and I want to earn your trust again. And nobody can argue with your feelings, your hopes, your expectations for the relationship, but just know that it may take some time. It may take some time to get back on the same page. I really don't want to put a clock on it, John, of how long you should wait without hearing from him before you think it's a breakup. 
I would say if you're not in the same location, you have to really insist that you have a phone conversation or a FaceTime, a real-time conversation to get on the same page again, to understand what happened and to express how you feel. And then you can really go from there once everything's out on the table. I hope you enjoyed episode 383 of Dates and Mates. I'm at Damona Hoffman on all of the socials. You can send me a DM on any platform with your questions for the show. And just like our listener, John, you can leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255. We'll be back next Tuesday with a very special Halloween episode. We're doing something a little different this year instead of the horror stories as we usually do. My friend and astrologer, Rachel Lang, will be here to talk about her new book, Modern Day Magic and the Magic of Falling in Love. Until then, I wish you happy dating.